Uh, the way I got introduced in hypnosis was I started off, unlike a lot of people, uh, most of the people I run into, they're mostly, they start off as clinicians and they kind of dip their toe in the stage where I was like the exact opposite. I was a, um, and still am a performing stage magician going all across the country in North America, performing upwards of around 200 shows a year. And, uh, and you know, Jason, cause I know you've, you've dabbled in magic too and everything that with magic, you've got props and you've got angles and you've got equipment and everything. And it's uh, kind of a pain in the keister. Well, a friend of mine from Texas, I'll even say his name, Rodney, Rodney he um, introduced me to the idea of stage hypnosis. I'd, and I'd heard about it, but I'd never seen it before. And he sent me up his videotape of his uh, first show, which, you know, tells you how old it was. And um, I was captivated by and just like amazed. And then um, I went to see a couple of other shows, and they're like R-rated shows, wasn't really my bag. And I finally decided to explore the idea all the way back in, when was this, 2005, I think? Uh, no, 2004, I don't know, a long time ago. And uh, got into stage hypnosis, and it actually learned it by DD of all things, if you can believe that. And didn't have my first uh, live training until almost a decade later. And uh, started doing stage shows all across the country and uh, having a great time with it and, you know, supplementing my magic income with stage hypnosis. And eventually it worked up to the way where I was making as much stage hypnosis as I was magic. And there's no props. It was real. And people were scared of me. It was, you know, at, at that time, it was kind of <laughs> cool because with magic, it was all about, you know, oh, you know, the, the snarky comments, hide your wallet and everything with hypnosis. It was, you know, the adults were more like, don't look in my eyes. Literally, one of my first corporate jobs, I was having dinner with a client, and uh, the uh, the client's wife literally would not look me in the eyes because she's so scared of me, which I just thought was just tremendous. And I, you know, that cold, black, evil part of my uh, black heart really enjoyed that and uh, <laughs> got into it further. <laughs> and then I had an eight. You, you hit on something story. there, which, I mean, I had a hobby doing magic. I kind of paid my way through college doing magic shows at Bush Gardens down in Williamsburg. And you know, the transition between hide your wallet versus the, I have a fear of this thing. Can you help me with that? Was a much better interaction after a program. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and that's what got me into, into being a clinician. Uh, people were asking me after stage shows, can you help me with this? Can you help me with that? I'm like, I, 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 I don't know. And uh, the way I got into actually formally training and becoming NGH certified is kind of funny. I had an agent, and I still have an agent. She's out west to um, Nebraska and Iowa you know, the corn country to do post prompts. And after about six years of doing this and get, making upwards of, of you know, forty fifty thousand dollars $50,000 from this agent for you know, half a dozen shows a year or whatever it was, she eventually said, I need you to send me a copy of Rangeet certification. I'm like, what's that? <laughs> <laughs> and so my husband, oh, you're not an NGH certified. Well, we want you to be certified. Oh, I've been working for you for years. Everything's kosher. Well, it's just for credibility, blah, blah, blah. So I told my wife about it and uh, that her husband was going to train me. And she said, oh, they want all your money. And they're just trying to bilk you and everything. And I see that money. This is a great reframe. I, they've given me $50,000. Now they want, they go 1600 for the training of their evil plan of working. And that's a training. <laughs> <laughs> so... But then I became a clinician and opened up the Niagara Falls Hypnosis Center um, about five miles from where I live about six years ago. And uh, now I split my time between seeing clients, doing trainings. I'm actually in the middle of uh, certifying a couple of students now and uh, performing stage shows and magic shows. And uh, it keeps me fresh. I don't want to do one thing for too long. I just get buggy. So I um, enjoy doing a lot of different things. And that's kind of where I'm at right now. 
Yeah, and I love that aspect. I mean, it's definitely part of my lifestyle, too, that each and every week is this different experience. So, you know, I'm not actively promoting stage hypnosis these days, yet still doing quite a number of programs because the high schools are just so loyal. And here's the date. Okay, I'll send a contract. And then back in the office for a series of clients. And then the moment of, hey, let's do a uh, webinar. Let's now go to this convention. And just that aspect of mixing it all up. So there are some who would say jack of all trades master of none, though I've found that pattern from so many people I've talked to here that, you know, having the feet in so many different pools, as it were, um, what is it about that variety do you think lends itself to becoming more effective and let's say, at least in working with your clients? Well, first of all, clients, may re- if they hear that you do stage hypnosis, because even if, well, let, let me back up. People call and they ask about, uh, you know, what you can do for them. Can you help me with this? Can you help me with that? And they come in, and despite the fact that we do, you know, those of us who are effective, do an effective pre-talk, and we explain how everything is, they will still look at stage hypnosis as something different. And I even tell them, I said, look, the hypnotic induction, after about four sessions, I'll tell somebody, even the hypnotic induction that I use with you is very similar to what I use on stage. It's a modified element. And um, uh, and so when they hear that you can do stage two, they see that as different. That looks more magical to them. It looks like mind control. So two, two aspects about having the variety. Number one, it allows you to speak from a position of authority and dispel a lot of those commonly held myths about hypnosis. Even if they've already heard it, they still think stage is different. So when you come from that point of authority, it raises credibility in their eyes. It helps to foster the, uh, the, uh, the, the good word of hypnosis, as it were. And, uh, and it also helps keep you sharp, too. Like me starting off with stage first, it was all about getting people into somnambulism really quickly and getting into the show and monitoring people and, and having interactions with the audience and stagecraft and monitoring several different subjects. And when I started doing a clinical work, uh, hypnotizing people was the easy part, you know, and all the newbies, I mean, people I'm working with right now, despite that we teach them about convincers and everything, they're like, oh my God, I still wonder what about this? What if this doesn't work? I'm like, guys, getting them into formal trance is the easy part. It's what you do afterward is, is where the true art comes from. So I think having ma- being a master of both uh, both perspectives, you know, uh, one-on-one sessions and stage, it makes you a better overall hypnotist all the way around. Because if you're just a stage guy, well, then maybe sometimes you know you hear stories about people who, you know, they become you know enamored with the whole, you know, I'm I'm God, I'm on stage. Whereas if you're a clinician, it 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 keeps you. I don't want to say humble. But it keeps you compassionate. So you can really, you know, it, it informs you in both ways. Does that, make, does that make sense? No, it does. And I'd say that, you know, from the stage side of things, some people would have the perspective of, okay, he's in the casino. Okay, he's in the corporate event, which um, I know you've done some things of that nature. But for the most part, uh, a lot of your magic programs are for elementary and middle schools, right? Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. which, which I, always, fair share of I always point the, the phrase majority. of, you know, my, uh, my Vegas is a... Uh, high school jam at three in the morning. Exactly. Yeah. yeah exactly. Which is extremely exactly. humbling. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Can we adjust well, the lighting? It's old... either on or off. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. And I, I remember one of my old uh, show videos I was using as a demo video for a while where they had me in front of the cafeteria and you could see the lunch ladies preparing the lunch while I was doing my show for the kids. And it was extremely humbling. But hey, yeah. that's, that's show biz. <laughs> the, how does that how does that convert over to uh, working with clients? Uh, not that not that the uh, as... not that the cafeteria ladies are there uh, in the background in that environment, but again that <laughs> that flexibility of okay, here's what's going on. Let's just make this work. Oh yeah, it's it's it that you know that's a really great segue. The one I had I'd not had anybody address me before in other interviews I've done. Um, it allows you to jump tracks really quickly and allows you to 
Uh, I'll explain it like this. When you're in a stage like that and you have to adapt to all these different conditions, it's not too dissimilar from adapting to different clients, both what they bring to the table. Like you may go into an interaction with a client with a tentative game plan in play. And then when they sit down for a session three or four, they may throw you for a loop and then you've got to recalculate and, you know, come up with different strategies to interact with those clients. So again, one informs the other. It's all about flexibility and thinking on your feet and making those, um, yeah, and not being so rigid as we've uh, talked about before with uh, certain other highly ranked hypnotists. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the flexibility inside of it that, I mean, here's a phone call I received the other day that the commentary was, well, I don't know. I tried hypnosis about 15 years ago and it really didn't work. And getting the actual story that, you know, it was a friend of his who had a book on it and just simply read something from the book. To which I right, had right. to respond, it's like, well, you know, my, my classic phrase in that environment is, well, you've gotten a bad haircut before, right? And you've continued to get your haircut in spite of the fact that you've had one bad haircut. So um, I don't even want to put that in this category because that was not the person I flashed to the examples of the uh, correspondence courses that would used to have commercials of TV repair, VCR repair, uh, get your degree, veterinary science. And the joke was always, I'd hate to be a cat in that house. So <laughs> the, the aspect of, you know, there's a line between the person who's really out there having already put in those 10,000 hours and has put this work into use versus the one who's kind of dabbling at that. And, you know, bringing that into that aspect that, I mean, even over to the magic world, my uncle knows a card trick. He's a magician just like you, right? Right. Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, the stories I could tell. Oh, we just revivified <laughs> you to something there. So I want to go specifically into one one part of uh, this this sort of career here, which was that this aspect of there you were already quite successful with the programs you do for schools that whether it's the magic whether it's the uh whether it's the hypnosis programs what was that initial intention in terms of this the seed of the idea that eventually became niagara falls hypnosis center honestly uh i'll, I'll totally be honest with this that the initial thing was to well, well two things it was to uh satisfy the needs of the of the uh, of the agent that i alluded to earlier the second thing was when I was at my training, having no initial intention of becoming a one-on-one clinician was um, my trainer uh, played a video of him working with a client. And uh, it was a very transformative experience. This particular gentleman was, he, uh, he'd been, he was a, a first responder. He was a police officer, if I remember correctly. And he'd been shot and uh, um, half of his body was almost completely paralyzed. He could walk, but it was with a, you know, with a very noticeable gait. A nose limp, excuse me, and just had a um, really rough go of it. And I don't remember the specifics of the case, but it, was, it turned out it was a lot of it was psychosomatic, a lot of grief, a lot of you know I can't provide for my family anymore, that sort of thing. So with with his permission, they videotaped the session. We watched it in class, and he hypnotized the guy, and he's like crying, he's abreacting, he's like letting you know letting the stuff out. And to make a long story longer, at the end of the session, he reaches up with the, the paralyzed hand and very clearly wipes tears from his eyes. And we flash forward to the end of the session. He walks out having regained about 80% mobility in that side of his body. And I was completely transformed. I was like, you know, sobbing myself, watching it. And I'm like, okay, I want to help people. And, um, and then of course the capitalistic uh, side of me said, well, I can travel (laughs) less doing it this too. So 
it was uh, that was basically you know my moment of uh, you know heading into this wonderful world from a uh, one-on-one standpoint. So, in terms of the next step, what was the next move from there? Uh, get a DBA. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, get a DBA, and then I got re- I got very lucky because I and this is not which I want to just on a pause in that for some people who might not know exactly what that is, and I'll share my thoughts on it, and you can kind of back me up or tell me no, you idiot, you're wrong. Um, this is basically <laughs> in in the shape of an already existing business, you're able to file a DBA, which stands for doing business as. So it's not quite right. forming an entire, entirely new business entity the way that I am the Jason Lynette Group LLC, and that refers to it's a group of all of Jason Lynette's businesses. And inside of that is Work Smart Hypnosis. Inside of that is Virginia Hypnosis. And back me up on this, please. Uh, the DBA is basically like a two-page document at about a $10 fee. Exactly. Yes. Yeah, so exactly. I've, I have used LegalZoom, uh, but don't use them for this. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And I, I mean, you know. I, I wanted to highlight later. that because a student of mine just dropped about $250 on filing a DBA, which, again, it's a two-page document Ouch. and it was a $10 fee. So um, exactly. use them for yeah. things like trademarks if you ever have that need. But for this specific scenario, you just needed to solidify the name within your local county, basically. Exactly. And yeah. then years later, I eventually incorporated, as did you. You know, I'm Chris Johnson, Inc. I didn't do the group thing, although I wanted to. My wife thought that sounded dumb, but she didn't understand. I just didn't feel like arguing. Um, <laughs> and, and what I'm about to say Let's next, spend the next I mean, half no hour on that moment now. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I mean, no disrespect to other people out there who have home-based um, hypnosis businesses. Um, I was never comfortable with having people coming into my house because I've got you know, dogs, I've got cats, and it's just I didn't want to do it. And also from the get-go, when I started seeing clients, I began seeing or having walk-ins who were not quali- I was not qualified to deal with. I'll just leave it at that. So I wanted to keep my personal and professional life separate. And I got lucky that I did not have to go searching far for a um, for a place to have my center. I didn't have to worry about, you know, making a deal with a chiropractor or anything. My wife has a hair salon and the building next there, the uh, is a two business building. Uh, so at one floor and the building, uh, the half of the building next to her became available um, about eight months after I got my certification. And the rent was very favorable. It was only $500 a month, and uh, it serves two purposes. And we've got the, the very nice hypnosis center set up with a treatment room and a nice reception area and nice signage out front and everything. And I've also got an area that clients don't see, which I affectionately refer to as a nerd room where all my equipment is. And um, Oh, mine is so called the room I, where boxes go to die. <laughs> I like yours better. Yeah, well, I still I still use mine, so that's uh, I did give it a different name. Uh, you know, the 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 room uh, the sign above the room says the nerd room because having the the sign say the the room where a wasted youth will spend was just too long. It was just too long. So, <laughs> but anyway, um, so I was able to transition to having a, a professional looking office very very quickly. And I've been there ever since. So my transition was relatively easy. Although you might have a similar through line here, because I was when I was launching Virginia Hypnosis, the original thought was, okay, well, I'm mostly doing the stage hypnosis programs like Thursday, Friday, Saturday. I've got Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday available. Uh, let me find something temporary. Let me find something I can sublet. And then the honest realization that, no, these programs were so completely scattered that I, I couldn't play nicely with others, and it had to be my own sandbox. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I didn't want to have to worry about sharing office space or anything. And it was just it was just a much easier transition doing that. I couldn't imagine. You know, there's a guy in town. Um, and he bounces between four or five different locations. He'll be at one professional hypnosis center for a couple of days a week. I'm avoiding mentioning his name because he's kind of a friend. 
And he also bounces around between a couple of churches, does some things out of his house. And I just, no, I just, that's, that was a choice that did not work for me. I'll say it like that. Yeah. Well, it's where it comes down to the individual in terms of what their goals are. I know that, you know, several folks like up in New York City that it's beneficial to have one or two days here in Brooklyn, two or three days there in Manhattan, and then kind of bounce around those locations, Um, you know, to, to be in an area that there's just a lot of local people. Uh, I, I want to come back to a phrase that you use there that I loved, and some people would hear and go, wow, I don't think that way. But the fact that you said the rent was only $500 a month. Uh, when you were oh, look- yeah. when you were looking at that, I, I chair not to lead you. Uh, I chair the thought process that I had because my original office space that I signed a lease on it was a full two office suite, and the short version of the story was that I signed the lease. It was supposed to be about twelve hundred dollars a month. The owner calls up the day after I sign and go, "Hey, I need to make like ten thousand dollars appear, and I don't mean to make that your problem, but would you be willing to pay the rent all at once?" And looking around, it's like, well, I've got this Capital One credit card that zero balance and $12,000 limit with a balance transfer offer. Um, I can give you $9,000 this week, figuring, okay, I'll pay rent to Capital One rather than paying rent to this guy and managed to get the monthly rent almost practically cut in, you know, almost about, you know, just above a half of it and then subletted part of the space. And so by the time I was done with that, the office was now my space inside of this bigger suite that had my name on it, worked out to be about the same number, $500 a month, which you were coming into that already with a successful business. And the mind frame that I had was, okay, I just need like three sessions a month to even just break even on this. And if I can't even get that, I'm not even trying. So to look at this moment to unpack it of... The initial investment, not to necessarily go broke, I wouldn't recommend to most anyone else to say, you know, drop the nearly $10,000 in one swipe of a credit card. Um, You know, don't go massively into debt building something up that's not there yet. But that mindset of just jumping in, I'm going to make this happen, kind of walk us through that moment. Well, it was uh, kind of funny because before, well, two things I want to address just uh, basically interrupt myself that newbie hypnotists out there, you know, consider the name of your, of your hypnosis center. I mean, I named mine Niagara Falls Hypnosis Center because of the geographical name, which helps me for Google searches. And number two, I didn't want to have my name attached to it in case I had other hypnotists working for me. I want people to feel comfortable coming to, and I have had, you know, for a while I did have another hypnotist working for me that I trained and she went out, out elsewhere. Anyway, I, um, when I was, when I was trying to figure out what to do with the hypnosis center, I had this new certification, wasn't completely sure I wanted to become a one-on-one clinician yet because I was so comfortable with my stage career. And my wife had said, why don't you just try it at the salon? And this is so unprofessional. We want to try it at the salon for a while. So my first couple of sessions were actually in my wife's styling chair on a Sunday when she was closed, you know, a couple of her, her clients wanted to see me. So my first couple of sessions were, you know, and, and right there in the, in the hair salon on a Sunday afternoon. And, you know, I've got my, you know, literally I've got my scripts in front of me and my lap and everything. And I, I was horrible. I was absolutely horrible. And then very rapidly, we realized that wasn't going to work. So about two months in, we took her wax room where ladies go to get their, you know, everything removed and whatnot. And, um, you know, cornered that off and, you know, basically put some soundproofing in the walls and whatnot. And had to keep my hypnosis center for about six months. People come in through the salon and sit down. And it was a little bit better, but not much. And then, as I said, about three or four months after that, the, um, 
office space next door opened up. There was a photographer there, and uh, he decided to jump ship and you know vacated the premises. And we had a good relationship with the landlord, and it became almost a no-brainer. My wife had said, you know, at the very least, even if this crashes and burns, I want you to get all your magic crap out of the house. We don't have enough <laughs> storage space for it. So you know, I mean, so my mindset was, okay, great, it's a deduction. And secondly, any hypnosis session I book is a gravy. And that's how it got built up. And now, again, it's about, you know, between the, the stage is about a third, the uh, one-on-one sessions is about a third, and, you know, training for stage hypnosis is about another third. So, you know, I went into it with the standpoint of, you know, it being gravy, being gravy money and having a professional space. And then I immediately thought, well, then I can do trainings there and I can have, uh, you know, group hypnosis events there and everything. So as soon as it opened up, it was a very easy decision. It was, you know, in fact, we were last couple of months when I was doing sessions at the hair salon. I'm like, you know, this isn't professional. I need to find something else. And we heard uh, murmurings that the photographer next door was not going to be there very long. So we were just, you know, ready to jump, you know, it pounced on the opportunity as soon as it came up and it worked out in our favor very quickly. Yeah. Yeah. So then nowadays, where are most of your clients coming in from? Uh, well, actually three sources, I'll say, uh, referrals, which, you know, thank goodness means I'm getting the results that my clients want. Uh, secondly, uh, Google searches, cause I have a very, a fairly active website, you know, blogs and whatnot, updating the website and content and Facebook, uh, but mostly Google searches, uh, referrals, and then people drive by to see the sign. You know, I've got a sign out front, you know, uh, you know, one of those signs, you know, 20 feet in the air, you know, right above my West Harris salon sign. So it gives us a very professional look and a cute little building. And, you know, we just we have the appearance of somebody who's not just doing this on the side. And that's the, that was the goal that I was going for. We had a nice professional logo designed, a um, an actual sign sign, you know, that lights up and everything and uh, a sign on the front of the building. And uh, we, we installed pergo flooring and uh, actually put up because it was just one big open space. We actually you know, went in there and had a, you know, construction crew, uh, crew coming in and made us a couple of different rooms, put in different lighting because it was a very harsh fluorescent lighting. So we got all that changed and, um, you know, painted it up with a very nice, uh, very soft, neutral tan color. It's actually called Kitten Fluff, which is, which is cute. It fits our personalities. Nice. And I uh, <laughs> wanted to make it very warm and welcoming without being, you know, it was actually recommended to me when I first got certified is you make your walls white and it looks very sterile and very, you know, you don't want to do any, you, you don't want to, like if somebody comes in and you've got uh, like say purple, maybe the person has uh, had an app reaction because of the color purple for some strange reason. And I didn't want to go that harsh. So we went with tan as opposed to white. And, uh, you know, those other hit to just be damned. I don't care. And, and it works. <laughs> Everybody finds it very warm and welcoming. And it just, it fits my personality because while it is neutral, there's no, um, uh, like I don't put up a Christmas tree, for example, even though I should, because um, I just don't care. But uh, uh, so it's neutral, but still warm and welcoming, you know, and that was uh, the look that I was going for to make it professional, make it welcoming and make people come in, you know, feel welcomed almost immediately. It was a whole and it was, I'll give it all to my wife. She's um, been customer service as far as a brick and mortar business a lot longer than I have. And she was very helpful putting that together, the entire look of the building. And it just came together beautifully. Which to, to draw a bit of a through line here, I mean, from that performance mindset, it's the it's the stage picture, it's what's happening, it's the entire experience, and to recognize as we'd all you know often come back to the phrase, the entire experience is hypnosis. Whether it's Absolutely. noticing the sign, calling in, and then that user experience. So now, kind of walk us through this. Somebody's in your space. And yes, everything is built to the individual rather than just doing the same stock program for everybody. Though, what are what are some of those takeaways? What are some of those experiences that someone's going to have when they when they come into your office? 
Well, first of all, there, I have a very nice reception area. Notice I call it a reception area, not waiting area. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a little bit of important language there. Um, with some very nice, comfortable chairs, some, uh, some, some like Psychology Now and NGH magazines and so forth. Somebody is waiting. So occasionally I do go over. Uh, well, when they first walk into the office, if I'm in session, because I'm working by myself right now, they'll see a sign hanging in the wall saying hypnosis session in progress. Please come in for your scheduled appointment and have a seat uh, on the uh, one of the chairs and take a bottle of water. And which is kind of funny because I had one I had one com- one person coming in for an, for a screening one time and I was running like a few minutes over, came out, greeted her, you know, took care of the the previous client, and she's sitting there holding the water and she goes, "Now I saw your sign and took the water. I'm not sure what you want me to do with it." Which I thought <laughs> was marvelous. This she was really easy to work with. <laughs> we like to say compliance really precedes cool. suggestibility. <laughs> yeah, oh yes. Yeah. Yeah, it was like, boom, yeah, to use your phrase. So so they see the reception area, they see the desk, they see uh, you know, the room, there's a little sign hanging in the door where the treatment room is saying hypnosis session in private. If they were to walk down the hallway, they'd see, I've got some of those, um, some of those, you know, the inspirational phrases, you know, the one by Walt Disney and some others, and, uh, you know, written uh, with uh, decals on the walls. And there's a very professional looking sign for the, for the restroom and whatnot. And, uh, uh, you know, again, just trying to put forth the idea that it's a welcoming environment. They look into the, they come into the treatment room. They'll see a couple of, oh, and in the, uh, for credibility's sake, when they come into the office, they'll see above my desk, my, uh, my major certifications. I see the ones that I actually had to work for. Yeah. You know, the NGH, the CI, the, the, the board certification, my NLP certifications, all the other ones that I've got from classes that are basically participation ribbons. I, they, they went into a drawer. I'm not a certification <laughs> junkie anymore. So, you know. You know, it's a certificate of completion. It's like, okay, you took this class. It doesn't mean anything. So I put all those away. I'd have to share um, a, a similar line of, uh, I, I'd chalk it up to laziness that I've got this. And some of the videos on my website, you'd see this. There's this long hallway to go from my reception area down to the office where uh, where the magic happens. And it's this long hallway. The classroom's off to the left. And rather than just hang everything in this kind of squared off uh, way of doing it, uh, my wife was the one who came in and, you know, this one's in a block of five, this one's in a triangle of three, and it looks really, right. really cool. And we did, did that, that too. we did that once, like back in 2011, and um, those are the same ones that are still up. Now, some of the ones like, uh, you know, the up-to-date with the NGH, up-to-date with IACT, IMDHA, that sort of right. thing, those are ones I'll, I'll trade out as I've got the most up-to-date version of it, yet right. it's where – it's that benefit that when we begin, we might be chasing that extra piece of paper to hang on the wall. Um, but at this point in the game, you're really there attending the training because you want the information. You want the experience. Right. And right. to recognize that as a moment of strength and triumph, though, there has been a quiet moment of offense where someone was in my office and he goes, you don't have this certificate from my class. It's like, well, it's in this filing cabinet over here. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, there there comes, and you know this, there there comes a point where now you're overcompensating if you have too many up. I mean, I've got mm-hmm. enough of these, you know, certificate of completion certs that I can hang. I could cover every space, every space in my wall, you know, in the, in the entire facility. Um, and it just, you know, if you go too far with it, now it's like, okay, you know, what it, it becomes an indirect suggestion of, okay, what, what's what's he worried about, or what's he trying to prove, or or you know, the ego wall, you know, the classic phrase from from lawyers, you know, they got the ego wall above their desk when clients come in and whatnot, and that's that's one thing I, I learned very quickly after about two years as a one-on-one clinician to uh, avoid, you know. So again, I get my 
my third and I set it aside. I'm like, okay, that's nice. And it just becomes, you know, it becomes, you know, part of the, <laughs> you know, something to fill up my, my file with. So. So now they're in your space. What's, what's that experience from there? Uh, you mean in terms of the session? Yeah. Okay. I try to have, and I don't mean to sound disrespectful. I try to make my sessions when it's appropriate, uh, a place of comfort. In other words, you know, I crack jokes when we laugh, if laughter loosens up the neurology, my session structure is basically come in. If it's our first session, I teach a lot of in the moment strategies in order to help them work on themselves, you know, condition themselves, you know, a lot of most here stuff where, uh, okay, you had that moment of temptation outside of the session, you're at the buffet line and here's the dessert, you know, some, some strategies to interrupt their thought processes. So I teach them that in the first session. And then I'm a big believer in homework. I give them written stuff to listen to CDs to listen to. So the session structure is, Hey, how's, how's everything going? You know, tell me how your week's been or whatever the case may be. And we talk about that. We do a, like an informal debriefing and then we do a formal debriefing with whatever written assignments I've given them and uh, which re- reveals a lot about their compliance here or, or not. And then we get into any uh, waking quote unquote waking hypnosis strategies I may teach. And then we get into the formal hypnosis state. And then we have another debriefing with uh, all the, uh, uh, you know, convincers and uh, emerging techniques and everything that you lovingly teach so well. And then we schedule the next session and I've got, uh, I'm all automated now with my uh, computer program. So I'm not with a paper calendar anymore. So I want to look up the date and whatnot. And, but basically my approach is to be very, to, to come off as very casual. You know, I, my, again, I, I defer to my original trainer and not that what he did was wrong because so many different approaches to this. I just realized very rapidly that his approach wouldn't work for me. He wore a suit and tie when he did his sessions. And I did that for about my first six months and I was stiff as a board. And you know me, Jason, can you mm-hmm. imagine me running around in a suit and tie all the time being yes. all serious? <laughs> it just didn't work for me. So I shifted to uh, black slacks, black slacks, black dress shoes, and then a uh, three button polo shirt with my logo on, uh, over the pocket and so I still look professional, but approachable. Mm-hmm. And to me, that is extremely important. And they're in my treatment room, and I've got a nice comfy recliner that I refer to as a comfy chair. Sometimes if the client and I have a good rapport, I'll make a joke when they sit down for the first time. I'll say, you can have a seat in the comfy chair. I get a much better reaction. I used to call it the chair of doom, which, uh, you know, <laughs> a little laughter there, that kind of thing. Which they, And again, this is very disarming. And it's which I want people to hear client. the intention, the tonality as to how you did that, because some people... You know, of course, um, you know, to, to have it in the written form. Oh, I can't believe that they said that. Um, there, right. There's a moment, for example, of um, the way that I handle the uh, I may tap in the hand, I may tap in the shoulder. Um, and if you ever have to scratch, move or adjust, go right ahead, just helps you relax even further. And I'm very clearly gesturing to a specific area when it's a man going, you ever have to adjust anything, go right ahead. I don't judge. <laughs> and I had a student one time who read the transcript of that in my class manual. Manual and going, I can't believe you say you don't judge. And then when they saw it, he goes, oh, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But there's something around, and I share you may have a similar through line here. There's something around the power of the transition that when you move from that, you know, that that intake interview, that conversation before the process, quote, officially begins, though the entire experience right. is hypnosis, to then right, suddenly right. now you're into that session. It's a clear transition which is hypnotic into itself that, wow, we're now we're doing the work. Now we're into the experience. Yeah. And, and it also, it, that, that moment of transition, you're exactly, you know, I'm, I'm right along with you. It also serves as a, as a, uh, for your first time client, 
um, especially, but with any client, it serves as a as a uh, a barometer of where they're at mentally. Because you can ask somebody, "Are you ready to be hypnotized?" And they go, "Yeah." I mean, you know, their their word is incongruent with their with what they're giving you non-verbally. Um, so when we had that moment of transition, you know, I'm watching them very closely, even though I appear to be very casual, you know, are they truly ready? Are there any, you know, fears that have not been allayed? Is there any, you know, concerns, you know, whatever it may be. So it's, it's, it's not only a point, a point of transition to the, where in their head, the true magic happens going on, but also as a way of, you know, taking the opportunity to, you know, gauge where they really are emotionally. Are they ready to, to jump in with both feet or is there any, you know, anything I need to address? Mm-hmm. And I think that's very important to underline, too. Yeah, I want to go back to the aspect of giving homework, because I think that's one of these things that there's... Uh, well, I'll share with you the the negative way it was first explained to me and why I didn't do it. And once I got over that chunk of BS that was handed to me, uh, now it's something <laughs> I actively make use of as well, that the first way it was explained to me was that, oh, if you have a client who's not succeeding give them a homework task. That way, when they don't do it, they understand the fault is on them and not you. And I'm oh hearing God. that and going, yeah, exactly. And I'm hearing that going, <laughs> I don't want to give any homework now because that's the perception of it, which again, respectfully, which means disrespectfully, once I got over that chunk of BS, <laughs> um, what are what are some of those things? Because again, it's that building that my, my phrasing is that hypnotic suggestion becomes permanent as long as it's congruent to the individual and as long as there's some form of, form of reinforcement mechanism. And simply being happier and healthier and feeling good is also a reinforcement mechanism. The person doesn't have to listen to the stop smoking reinforcement every day for the rest of their life. So, right. But it's giving that instant gratification. It's setting the process in motion. It's referring back into itself. What are, what are some of those homework assignments that you typically give out? Well, for, uh, for weight loss, I have a lot. Like I may have a homework assignment where there's a a couple of, it's not a lot, but it's like a couple of pages of reading where we explain, you know, the, 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 the whole, um, sugar, salt, fat dynamic when it comes to terms of diet, because I was told originally your clients coming in the door, they may know more about nutrition than you do. And I think a lot of them, they do, but to, to assume it, I think is, is bad. Mm -hmm. So uh, there may be some reading assignments about basic nutrition. There may be, uh, you know, stuff I got from, uh, from Laura King and I use with her permission. There may be things where there's a homework assignment designed to, you know, get them creative, thinking creatively about what kind of physical activity they may want to do to help, you know, further the weight loss. Cause a lot of people have a negative attitude about exercise. Oh, I can't stand jogging. Well, don't jog, figure something else to do. So there's a brainstorming exercise for that. Uh, they may have uh, emotional issues. So there's a homework assignment about that. You know, write down any imprint that you may have, you know, things that your parents may have told you, cleaning off your plate to the starving children in China, that kind of thing, self-limiting beliefs, all of which gets them thinking about what's going on inside their own head and they bring it to the table and then I can either reframe it uh, depending on if like if it's a self-limiting belief and they say something along the lines of, oh, everybody in my family gains weight up to the age of 40. Well, like I can do some reframing with that. You know, how would you know if that wasn't true or, you know, that sort of thing. Or um, whatever they bring to the table in terms of the work assignment, it may inform me as far as a specific technique. You're like, oh, my mother always told me X, Y, and Z when I was growing up. Okay. In my head, I'm thinking NLP, okay, reparenting technique, you know, that kind yeah. of thing. Um, also, because uh, a lot of times if they're sitting there in front of you and they just their mind goes blank, well, tell me about this, and they just kind of, uh, you know, they just kind of lock up. The other aspect of the homework, as I alluded to before, is I give them a lot of pattern interrupt techniques, you know, simple anchoring you know, the bilateral hemispheric stimulation, that kind of stuff that most peers teach, my own um, instant crate removal technique that I taught this last summer, that sort of thing. So they can, they can continue 
the chains work on their own. It's like basic conditioning. Every time that they interrupt that, that craving or that negative thought, they're training their neurology. So they, they continue working on themselves. So it becomes more of, you know, less of make me quit smoking and more of let's do this process together. So it's the, the, formal, tra- the formal trance work the waking hypnosis work, the written assignments to continue the uncovering and the stuff they can do on their own to uh, continue their own change work. And I do give client CDs mostly because so many other hypnotists do, and I was kind of expected to, and it also helps build up value for the package because I do consultations, I sell programs, so they may be dropping, you know, uh, you know, 700 bucks, 900 bucks, whatever it is for a weight loss program. And as a result, as they walk out of there, after having handed all that money over, they're getting, you know, a whole lot of value, uh, a whole lot of uh, stuff. You know, it's like the old direct, uh, not the, uh, it's the old information marketing strategy where, you know, you get the person's money and you, and you send them a box of stuff. It's not just one book. It's a three-ring binder. It's a couple of free reports. It's a CD. You know, you give them a lot of stuff and it helps you know, give them a kinesthetic feeling of value for what they just invested in and before we actually start the formal change work. Yeah, yeah. On the business side of things, um, how labor-intensive is this for you to, to provide these extra resources? It's not really that bad. I mean, I've got all the files all organized and right, everything. Yeah. And what I'll typically do is I'll just, you know, when I see my stock getting low, I'll simply print up a, bun- a bunch of stuff. I've got a, a five-rack CD burner. I can burn five CDs at a time. So it's, it's relatively quick. Usually, depending on my schedule, how things are going, whatever, I may have to devote, you know, maybe like half a day to like replenish my stock. I've got a high-speed printer and everything and an entire weight loss book. So I'm actually training this to a couple of students now. You know, they saw my weight loss book. I was showing them and they were like, oh my God, this must cost so much money. I said, no, the entire program with all the CDs and the labels and all the printed materials is like 20 bucks if that and that's if i don't get everything on sale at costco <laughs> right yeah so but it gives a very high perceived value and some clients they really do get a lot out of the uh out of the cds as well what i don't like however is when they say i'm not doing so well i need to listen to your cds more and that tells me i've got some more work to do yeah. on my end and not just the cds now i wanted so, to highlight that because some people would hear that and you know you've got a system in place basically the same way that uh, one of the strategies that I'll often pull in by way of homework is just the mindset of just surround yourself with good conscious reinforcement. So for the weight loss client, you know, here is uh, a link to watch uh, this specific uh, food documentary, Hungry for Change. It's on Netflix. It's on Hulu. And most people have that. Okay, here's a link to go to watch this 10 minute chunk in the middle of um, uh, what's a fat, sick and nearly dead. And, and for some of these, I'm giving the disclaimer. That's one that basically turns into an infomercial for Breville juicers. Uh, and it tells them, it's like, I want you to watch this 10 minute clip in the middle. As soon as you click the link, go to this specific, um, you know, time frame of the video, because right. here's the takeaway I want you to take from this. It's the scene in the diner. If anyone has seen it, where one person is going, yeah, I'm the one who got myself into this. I'm going to get myself out. And meanwhile, here's the other guy on his third heart attack with his chicken fried steak going, well, you know, I'm just addicted to this. It's just how the things are. So it's that taking ownership <laughs> of here's where I am. Here's yeah. what I do about it for the public speaking client. You know, here's a link to some of the best TED talks that are out there. And just to get that conscious reinforcement as to modeling excellence, things that are of that nature. Um, in terms of the compliance, uh, chat with me a little bit about uh, getting clients to actually make use of these things. Honestly, it's uh, surprising to me because I was told by a lot of the old guard, and yep. uh, you know, take what you will from that expression, <laughs> that oh, it's, it's not even worth giving CDs and reinforcement materials to, to listen to because they, they won't do it, you know. 
And so I kind of went into it with kind of a um, kind of a dejected attitude. And then to my surprise, my compliance is not 100 percent, but it's pretty damn close. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's surprising to me. The, uh, the compliance for the CDs, I would estimate it probably around 80 percent compliance. The written homework, uh, the compliance is probably around 97 percent. I mean, almost everybody does their written homework assignments. Um, the uh, Unfortunately, the strategies that I feel are most useful, the uh, the pattern interrupt strategies are it's probably around 70% compliance if my mm-hmm. clients are all being truthful. And I think they are because they, cause they, you know, most of them want to change. I say most of them do. So, you know, pretty high compliance. And, um, uh, you know, so, you know, to the, uh, to the old guard, that says they don't, they don't use these things. I say, well, you're not doing something right in my opinion. You know, I mean, it, it, it works. And the reason why I push these things, especially the pattern interrupts is because the way that I look at it is it's really good to be motivated for change. Uh, to, to remain a non-smoker or to ha- continue healthy eating habits when you're in my chair. But when you're out in the real world, you know, as well as I do, all the old anchors start firing off and uh, you know, they need strategies in the moment. Like mm-hmm. Gil preaches self-hypnosis and self-hypnosis is a great modality for change. But when they're in that buffet line, they can't just say, okay, I'm going to sit down for a second, close my eyes and go to this place. No, 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 no. Yeah. So you have to have <laughs> in the moment strategies. My, my phrase when that says, I don't feel good. I need a dark room and a CD player for 45 minutes. <laughs> Exactly. As opposed exactly. to things they can make use of as you're doing is my branding is uh, things you can do anytime, anywhere, and nobody knows you're doing something. Exactly. Exactly. I tell my clients, I give you a Batman utility belt, about six or seven different strategies you can do that literally only take a couple of seconds and you can do it while people are staring at you and they won't even know it. And that's the phrasing I use. Nice. But it's pretty cool. Yeah. 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 I share a, a strategy on that, which is that when I'm in that final, uh, you know, the, the closing arguments, as I anecdotally refer to it as the, uh, in a moment, <laughs> I'm going to count from one to five, which here comes the expectation. The session is almost over, which really takes a good four or five minutes to get out of because now I'm pummeling away um, the, yep. the phenomenon. I'm recapping the session. I'm hitting the points. I'm reinforcing any yep. uh, interactive work that they've done with me. Um, it becomes they a think mo- it's over. Yeah, they think it's over yet. And from that expectation, the awareness is heightened. Uh, it becomes a uh-huh. moment where I may start to future pace them into some of these situations and then hypnotically be suggesting there you are now running this specific process. And here's the result. So uh-huh. teaching the technique ahead of time and then building the compliance of it inside the process during that final emergence inside of it. Oh, yeah. I'll, I'll do that with my clients. We teach it in the waking hypnosis. Very often I will reinforce it during the quote-unquote formal trans session. And then as you said, reinforce it on the way out. And then that post-hypnotic interview, we've got that, you know, whatever it is, two, three minutes of magic after their eyes are open. I think it's over. Pounded in then. So it gets pounded in three, four times, which is, you know, beautiful compounding for the client. Yeah, yeah. So there's uh, two other points I wanted to chat with you here. Uh, we'll hit one of them here. That... Uh, you're somebody who combines modalities, and I love that, that, you know, there's a workshop that I've seen you present before on uh, NLP age regression, um, which one school of thought would say that, oh, that school of thought doesn't do the regression yet. I'm sorry, uh, changing personal history, reparenting. These are regression-based processes, no matter how you want to reframe them. So <laughs> what you have for breakfast this morning? We just did a regression. So what is it about this aspect of taking everything and putting these, these pieces together? Um, where, where did that come from? Or is that something that developed organically? Or is that something that you purposefully went after the intention of doing? Oh, my God. Well, you've seen a couple of my talks, Jason. I, you can't see me right now. Audio, but I'm sitting on my soapbox. <laughs> <laughs> this is something I'm passionate about. 
I originally, when I first uh, learned, when I, when I first became a clinician, my guy was a uh, Jerry Kine trained uh, um, student, and it was all about aggression therapy and everything like that as, as, a, as a cure from, I shouldn't say cure, but a cure from a free. Um, and then I went into it and realized very quickly that the, uh, that I needed schooling. So I got a, another certification from someone else. So I'm, uh, I avoid specific names here. And this woman said that his training was applicable because I, I was a newbie. I'm like, oh, this sounds great. His, uh, he talked a great game. And it was about a 10 page web, web page talking about, um, his system and was, uh, you know, it worked with whatever his numbers were like 97% of your clients will benefit from this. And I took the training. And uh, immediately found that for my way of working, and I'm going to be very clear about that because people do have success with the system, my way of working, it just wasn't the right thing. Mm -hmm. It was very hardcore revivification, uh, regression therapy. You know, you're, in other words, they're not just remembering it. They're reliving you know, that moment at five years old being beaten by their stepfather, whatever the case may be. And, it, and it's, it's, from their perspective, it's horrific. And you were told not to tell people you're gonna that you're gonna regress them and everything. I understand all that. Oh, what if I can't regress? You know, you kind of get in their own way. And just for me, it didn't work. The people they they'd sign up for a four or five session protocol after this regression therapy, they'd never come back, and they walked out looking as though they'd been struck by a car. It was just for me, it didn't work. And I'm stressing that for me, for me, for me, it didn't work. Yeah. And then I began exploring other things. I learned NLP and how NLP is wonderful. And if, if somebody held a gun to my head and made me pick one modality, it would be NLP. But even NLP doesn't work for all clients because not everybody is visual. A lot of the NLP uh, techniques are visual. And I'm going to get on my soapbox for a second. A lot of him to say, well, if you're not, if the client's not visual, it's time to think about it. That, in theory, that works great because we understand this stuff. In reality, some clients, they can't latch on to that. So NLP is not the only modality. Regression therapy has its place. You know, I took um, an essence protocol training at your facility, and it's wonderful. It's not applicable for every client. So it was, to answer your question in the long-form answer, it started off as a reaction to uh, my failure with an all-purpose protocol. And then from there, just over the next couple of years, taking as many trainings as possible. And I don't know if it was a conscious thing at first for the first year. I, was, I think I was just looking for the MacGuffin. Um, and then the second year after I became, after I was a, a clinician, um, it became a deliberate strategy to gain as much, as, as many techniques as possible. Um, knowing that every client sitting in my chair was not going to be, uh, you know, a one session fix all or one protocol fix all or even a step by step fix all with every client. I mean, even the, the Ned Simpson protocol, which I love, um, my very first client sat in my chair and I'm going through the process with her and she's like, I don't understand this. I don't understand this. So I actually have, you know, revamped the Simpson protocol. I've got six different versions of it now based on different personality types, whether repeat clients or not. And, you know, I just, it, 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 it evolved over time to the point now where I can't imagine, you know, being locked into one way of thinking. And I think to have yourself locked into one way of thinking is, is bad as a hypnotist. That being said, I'm also not a believer in winging it either. A lot of hypnotists like creating their own scripts and whatnot. And, and like, I know a hypnotist in my area. She's a good friend. And she just sits down, whatever the client gives her, she reflects back to the client and, you know, guided imagery and so forth. And she has success and everything. But my feeling is, I don't know if I'm going to be brilliant that day. You know, uh, I'm going through a lot of personal issues right now, some family members who are sick and whatnot. And the last to do is try to wing it with a blank piece of paper or a blank computer screen in front of me for that, waiting for that client. That's not fair to them. So I very, very much think standing on the shoulders of giants. And then for myself, sometimes I do have breakthroughs. Just with insight, 
And that's how I created the this year. I had a moment of insight with a client. She sat down in the chair and boom, it just came to me. And, um, and then I tested it, workshopped it for another, I think another couple of years before I offered it as a class to make sure it was a viable technique. So, but I don't count as an inspiration every day. You know, I, I, I'm a carpenter. I'm a Lego hypnotist. I look at, I, I get my hammer out, my, my scroll saw, my, my socket set, and I use what other people have used before me. And if it works for me, then I continue using it when applicable. But I don't try to reinvent the wheel, and I definitely don't try to um, tighten a bolt with a claw hammer. It, it just doesn't work, you know. So that's kind of my thoughts on the whole, you know, single system protocol that I am very much against. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I have one more thing I want to ask you about, but before we get to that, where can people find out more about you online? They can find out more about me. The best thing to do is visit my website, NiagaraFallsHypnosisCenter.com, all four words, all squished together, no hyphens or underscores, NiagaraFallsHypnosisCenter.com. And uh, you'll see uh, you'll see my website with my you know my stop smoking my weight loss. You'll also see my NGH certification, and uh, I, I am working on a product page. But I do have six or seven products for practicing hypnotists. So I just haven't got the product page done yet. But I have a smoking protocol and several other things. So if anybody wants more information, go to NiagaraFallsHypnosisCenter.com. Drop me a line. I'll be happy to uh, let you know what I can offer you in terms of additional training and, uh, any additional insights, uh, based on what we've covered today or just in general, just call me up and we'll chat. Awesome. Awesome. So the last thing I wanted to chat with you about, and you might be predicting it cause I've asked you this privately before the decision <laughs> to drive around the Niagara Falls hypnosis center car, <laughs> which is funny cause I'm no longer doing it. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but, it, but, but initially the reason why I did that is I, I will, I will cop to this. That when I started doing that, I was like panic stricken. I was experiencing a downturn in my performing career. And okay, I've got to, I've got to make something happen really quickly. What can I do really quickly? Well, the person who designed my sign and my logo, um, we're no, we no longer speak now, but he's a good friend of mine and he did vehicle wraps. And I could get a $3,000 vehicle wrap for the cost of materials. It cost me like $400. And I got the vehicle wrap for my, uh, I don't remember if you ever saw it, but it was like big and gaudy and everything, you know, with a huge hand crushing a cigarette on the wheel of the car and whatnot. And it gave me some, you know, some measure of clients, not a ton, but gave me some measure of clients. The idea is, is like one more impression for people to become familiar with my business. And, uh, and I would have kept it, but after a few years of doing this, the uh, any wrap, it started, to, it started to peel back and oh, it started yeah. to look really bad. So I peeled it back and never bothered to get it, to get it redone again because it had a, a negative effect on my on my performing business. Like I, I pull up to a K through five elementary school, they see hypnosis all over the cars. Oh my God, what are you going to do to uh, to our kids? And I'd explain, no, that's a separate business, you know that kind of thing. Uh, but initially, it was it was uh, it's one more you know, marketing tool to get people into my door. And it was a very reactionary kind of thing. So I was experiencing a downturn. And even though I got, I may have uh, implemented the strategy for the wrong reason, it did illuminate something in my head, which realized, okay, if, uh, if I ever experience a downturn in one area, I've got other areas I can punch up, which really helps keep me, uh, keep me sane during times when, you know, maybe a marketing strategy for one aspect of my business doesn't work and I've got to adjust it. And in the middle of that adjusting period, I can ramp up things in other areas to keep my uh, keep my plate full, so to speak. Yeah, outstanding. Uh, well, Chris, it's been wonderful having you on here. Dude, I've had a great time. I'd love to do it again. Awesome. I'll see you soon. All right. Take care, buddy.